It is my understanding that one of the things that soldiers do before they go into combat is that um, they write a letter to their loved ones uh, in case they don't make it in the midst of that combat. That was my understanding. I actually called David Shaw yesterday just to go, listen, is this true? And some of you who have been in the military and have been in combat, I'm sure would uh, acknowledge that. Uh, that before a soldier goes into combat where he may lose his life, that uh, he would sit down and he would, he or she, uh, would write a letter, maybe to a spouse, maybe to your mother, your father, maybe to a child, siblings, I guess whoever you choose to. Uh, I, I was thinking about that. And thinking about that soldier, say that night before, with pen and paper, writing down words and uh, just the depth of significance that those words would possess, thinking that if my family reads this, this will be the last thing that uh, I was able ever able to, to say to them. Uh, I think we could think about it from the perspective of a soldier writing and what would be those thoughts and who would you leave that letter for and what would you say? I think we could also think about that letter, God forbid, but we know it happens, of that family member, that loved one that uh, receives that letter and uh, would read those words. I, I, I know that that family member would not just read that letter one time, but that, that family member would keep that letter uh, probably in a special place. And from time to time as they go through the grieving process would would go back to that letter to remind themselves of what it was that their loved ones said, wanted expressed to them before they died. Um, for me, the essence of the New Testament book, 2 Timothy, that is the essence of 2 Timothy. And I want us in the weeks and the next several months as we work our way through 2 Timothy to see Paul's letter to Timothy from that perspective. Paul, and he expresses this, he had every reason to believe these would be the last words that he would speak to Timothy, a young man that he had invested his life in over 15 years. Uh, Paul writes at the end of 2 Timothy, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. Uh, he, he exhorts Timothy, who would have received the letter weeks after Paul would have written it. And it would have taken him weeks to get to Rome where Paul was in prison waiting 
to die. But he, he expresses to Timothy, he, in, in the last chapter, and we'll see this a couple of months down the road, he says, be diligent to come to me quickly. And then the next to the last verse, he says, do your utmost to come before winter, if at all possible. Come. Because Paul knew the time was short. Now, the reason I say all of that is to say that when we read the words of 2 Timothy, uh, I believe they, they include the essentials. They were the very most important things, the essentials, that Paul wanted to share uh, with Timothy. Uh, it's Paul's in prison, waiting to be killed by the Roman authorities. Uh, as Timothy would have received that letter, it wasn't just that Timothy read it once but he would have read it over and over. Um, and then the word, the, the letter would have been shared with the church and the church would have treasured Paul's final words and then in time, that letter would have found its way into the New Testament as these final words of Paul. And so in the weeks, in the next several months, I want to talk about essentials. What was it? that Paul was communicating, what was it, what was the message that Timothy would have gleaned from the words of Paul in his words that are about uh, the life truths that matter. I shared with you last Sunday that uh, 1 Timothy is a book uh, from Paul to Timothy and it's about church business. It's kind of a business letter. It's like, hey, Timothy, here's some instructions. This is what you need to do. But 2 Timothy has a different feel to it. This is on a personal level. Uh, this is, as we've described, as parting words uh, for, for Paul to Timothy. And I think we need to be deliberate, and we need to look at the words. And we need to look at the words from the perspective of Timothy. What was it that Paul was expressing to Timothy? Now, last Sunday we, we looked at two verses. We'll pick up the pace a little bit from here. We're going to look at three verses uh, this Sunday, but it kind of breaks this down this way. Very typical uh, Paul's uh, greeting in the letter. He's going to start with his name. He's going to talk about his description of who he is. He's going to talk about that it's to Timothy. He's going to have this traditional grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. A very typical greeting uh, greeting. And then it is typical, I think not only in ancient letters, but we see this in Paul. If you just go back to his other letters that he writes, it is typical that Paul has, after that initial greeting, he has a prayer of thanksgiving. And you can go through there. Almost all of his letters. And he's going to have this prayer of thanksgiving. When I think about you, this is what I, I want to thank God for. And he affirms many people. Now, sometimes he goes straight to the message from there because the message was pretty hard-hitting. And uh, he kind of skipped the word of thanks. But anyhow, for Timothy, there is this heartfelt initial prayer, which is very typical uh, of Paul to begin his letter with. And in it, I believe we discover one of the essentials... Uh, 
that are life's truths that matter. And it is the essential of gratitude. Paul's going to start that section and he's going to say, I thank God. Um, and I want to talk about what Paul is expressing to Timothy and what Timothy needed to look back on his life to be thankful for. But I want to talk about gratitude because I believe it is one of the essentials. In fact, it is quite remarkable, and I think it would have struck Timothy, that Paul is writing the letter, and we know how it turns out. We know the circumstances that Paul is in, but Paul starts with a heart of gratitude that said, I'm thankful to God right now. Now, just think about Paul's in prison waiting to be executed, okay? But he comes to God with a grateful heart, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a minute. And what I want you to see this morning is that one of the essentials of living is gratitude and that we need to be grateful for the things in the past, the things that God has brought us through. I want you to follow my, my train of thought here. Is We need to look back on our life and we need to be grateful that God has brought us through some things. And, and there's going to be some things that are mentioned here from Paul's life, from Timothy's life. And, and Paul's going to say, I want, I want to model this. I want you to see this. But wherever you are, quite honestly, before you, you press into the future, you need to look back and be grateful that there were some things that God brought you through. And in fact, my contention is this morning, until we stop, in the midst of our circumstances, whether that's Timothy where he's at, whether that's Paul where he's at, where, where any of us are at, before we can look to the future for what God has for us ahead of us, we need to look back and we need to look back at what God has done, but we need to look back with a grateful heart to say there were things that God brought me through to get me to this point. And it's only when I look back in gratitude that I position my life for what God has in front of me. Does that make sense? I can spend another 10 minutes explaining that. And we'll be out 10 after 12. But if, if you get that point, just say amen. amen. Oh, I thought y'all did. So my point for the day is that gratitude for the past positions us for the future. Now, I want you to see what Paul, his, his prayer of thanks in 2 Timothy 1, 3, 4, and 5. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Now, I know, I know. We read those verses and we go, okay, yeah, yes, yeah, blah, 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 yeah. Paul's just kind of opening his letter and here, here's some things I'm thankful for and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's it at all. No, it's that letter. These are parting words. And there, there is great significance in the words that Paul chooses 
and the things that he, he writes to Timothy. Uh, as Timothy would have read these words, he had to think, what is it that I need to be grateful for? And I believe there, there are several things that emerge. In fact, there, I'm going to mention four things today that emerge from these verses that Timothy, as he read these words, said, those are things in my past that I need to look at and I need to be grateful that God uh, brought me through those things. And this is just the way my brain works. I'm sorry. I have to explain the way my brain works. I don't know that your brain works like mine. I do know my wife's Oh, I'm about to step off. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know that your mind works like my mind. Um, the way I see this is Paul's going to start at the, uh, the present and he's going to work back in Timothy's life. But I think as Timothy looked at this, there were some things in the initial uh, present that, and then working back of things that he had to be thankful for. I think the first thing he had to be thankful for, and it, it jumps out in those first verses, in first words in, in verse 3, is that he had to be thankful for Paul's example. Paul was an example. Uh, Timothy looked at his life, and, and he saw an example of what it looked like to be a Christ follower. Paul modeled certain things in his life, and the first thing he modeled in line with what we're talking about, it was gratitude. Uh, it's interesting, he says in verse 3, it may not be interesting to you, it was interesting to me when I began to, to break this down, that, that Paul says, I thank God. And so obviously that's where our, our theme of gratitude comes from. But it was interesting when I began to look at that phrase, it's not the typical phrase that Paul would use, which would be a verb which, which would say, I give thanks to God. What Paul says is, he says, I have thanks. And, and so, and I, know, I know that's very different, but I actually went back to his other letters, and, and he starts and he uses this verb that I give thanks. I give thanks to God. I give thanks to God. But that's not what he says here. He says, I have, I have thanks. And so what he's saying is I'm not making a statement about gratitude. I am in a state of gratitude and there's a shade of difference of meaning there but understand how Timothy would have heard that Paul is in prison waiting execution and Paul says when I sit with my heart before God I can't help but be filled with gratitude I am in a state of gratitude um, Paul is challenging him to be grateful, but Paul first models that he is an example. So many other things in his 15-year uh, time uh, with Timothy that he modeled uh, before Timothy and that, that Timothy saw. Uh, he says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. And I think as Timothy read that, what he realized was that Paul comes to the end of his time and he, he says, I have a pure conscience. Uh, if I had to put it in terms of today, he, Paul would say, I come to the end of my time. Having had the call of God in my life, 
And God called me to serve him. And now I face death because of him. Paul would say, I have no regrets. I have a pure conscience. I don't think Paul would have said he was perfect. But Paul would have said, I come to the end of my days and I have no regrets. I have a pure conscience that I've lived out the calling of God, which was what he talked to Timothy about um, in the first two verses. He's lived out his calling. In fact, he, he says later in his letter, in 4-5, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. I have a clean conscience. I have no regrets when I come to the end of my life. And I think what a testimony that is to Timothy as he reads those words to know that you could, you could live out a life and you could come to the end when you're facing death and not only could you have a grateful heart, but you could have a pure conscience. Paul throws in this little phrase, as my forefathers did. And uh, in Paul's mind, and I want you to see this, it was not, it was not about his, his immediate uh, contemporaries or the people, his, his parents or his grandparents, I don't think. That's not, that's not part of his story, I don't think. Because I think when Paul looked to those people that, that had walked the path, uh, at least religiously, uh, right in front of him, they were people that, by and large, had rejected Jesus and were not living in the, in the, in the Christ life that Paul was living. So I don't think it's that Paul looks to those people and says, you know what, uh, I, I do this and I, I live it out because that's the way my... my my parents and my grandparents did it. I think Paul has to go back further and he goes to the Old Testament saints. You see this in his writings, particularly Abraham. I think Paul drew strength from those who had gone before him, uh, like Abraham uh, and Moses and David. That as Paul went back in his, in his scriptures, and his scriptures would have been the Old Testament, and he would have looked to those, uh, uh, those forefathers those people who had lived out the faith, uh, he said, I, I had, a, had a model. Because you think, who, who was Paul's role model? Who was his mentor? And you just don't see it. Unless Paul was going back in the scriptures to those greats of the faith and said, no, I saw in them what it means to live for God and to live in faith. Um, and so I, I think as, as Timothy reads these words, Starting in his present situation, one of the things that he needs to be grateful for was the example that Paul had set. But I think also he had to be thankful, secondly, for Paul's investment of his life in him. So I think he had to be grateful for Paul's example, how he had modeled the Christ life. But I think he also had to be thankful for the investment that Paul made in his life. In fact, you glean that from these words when, when Paul writes. Of all the people that Paul could have written, basically on his deathbed, he pins a letter to Timothy. And you get in at the end of, chapter, of verse 3 and into verse 4, you, this emotional connection that came from those 15 years in which Paul invested his life in Timothy. And Timothy, as he reads that, he said, of all the people that could have mentored me, of all the people who could have said, listen, I want to take you under my wing and I want to show you what it looks like to live the Christ life, the great apostle Paul, one day, 
in my town in Asia Minor said, no, I want the young man to come with me. And I want to take him under my wing. And Paul had invested his life in Timothy. Uh, and you see this emotional connection. Uh, the second part of verse 3, he says, As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. There's two words that Paul is saying, When I am alone with God in my prison cell, you are on my mind and I pray for you without ceasing, but he kind of doubles down. He says night and day. There is no greater statement um, than to say, I'm always thinking about you. There's actually a country and western song I want to quote right now, but I don't think it's under edification. I think it was Willie Nelson saying it. I'm not going, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, you know what it is. But Paul was saying, you were always on my mind. Some of y'all caught that. Okay. Because of the investment that Paul had put, it wasn't just something he did mechanically, but there was, there was an emotional connection there. And whenever I'm alone and my mind thinks, I remember to pray for you without ceasing and night to day, night and day. And he says in verse 4, greatly desiring to see you. Being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Um, Paul says, I, I, I really want to see you. That's why he writes at the end of his letter, do your, do your best to get here. If at all possible, can you just get here? I want to see you. Actually, he says, everyone else has forsaken me other than Dr. Luke. Everybody else is gone. Can you just come? Because that was the emotional connection that came from Paul's investment in his life. He says... He says, being mindful of your tears, and I think in Paul's mind, he remembers, and I don't know what this is, but the last time they were together and how Timothy must have wept. I don't know if it's when Paul is arrested. I don't know when it is, but when they left the last time, he said, all I can see in my mind, the last time I ever saw you is you were broken down in tears, and it would bring me great joy if I could see you again. And so... Timothy needed to be grateful for Paul's investment in his life. Grateful for Paul's example. Grateful for Paul's investment in his life. Thirdly, in verse 5, Timothy needs to be grateful for a heritage of faith. He says in verse 5, when I call to remembrance, he said, when I think about you in my mind, what do I think about? I think about the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Um, if we're working back chronologically, the last 15 years have been uh, Timothy's time to see Paul's example for Paul to invest in his life, but if you get to 15 years and back, what you realize is that uh, Timothy has a heritage of faith. He had people that were instrumental in his life, his family members that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he means. He said, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, 
It was a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and we could go back and we could piece together some of Paul's journeys and going to Lystra and Asia Minor in uh, Acts 14 and Acts 16. And what we have to understand is that when the gospel came to Lystra, brought by Paul, and he preached the gospel, it must have been that his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice first believed in Christ. Their hearts were such that they were open to the truth, and even though they would have been Jewish, uh, followed the religion of Judaism, Paul comes and he preaches the gospel, and they believed, and they were instrumental in Timothy saying, I too will believe. I don't, you're probably like me. Some of you are like me. No, it was, that, it, was that, it was that father, it was that mother in your life who were the pioneers of the faith that believed and uh, led you in that. And so it was uh, for Timothy, not his father. We see that in Acts 16. But his grandmother and his mother, he had this heritage of faith that he needed to be thankful for, that there were people in his life that were most instrumental to him that uh, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. When the gospel was preached, they believed. I love the way he, he, he clarifies faith in verse 5 when he says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith. Genuine faith. That word genuine uh, literally means without hypocrisy. Uh, I don't have time to trace this down. But Jesus' uh, biggest slam to the religious people of our day is that they were hypocrites. They were, which is a Greek word for actor. You were playing with God. It was not, a, it was not genuine. It was with hypocrisy. It, you were wearing a mask to cover up like a, in a Greek play. Um, you were pretending. You didn't really know God. You were, you were a hypocrite. Paul says, when I think of your faith, and particularly the faith, the faith that was first demonstrated in your grandmother and your mother, it was, a, it was a faith without hypocrisy. I think it's so loaded that they were people who had followed Judaism, but there was a genuineness to their lives that they were genuinely seeking God and when the truth of the gospel came that they believed and Timothy saw that and he followed in that path and so Timothy has a heritage of faith that when he begins to look back on his life Paul's example Paul's investment of time but also there were people in his life that believed the gospel that led him to believe the same and place his faith in Jesus Christ. There's one other thing that I believe is contained in that when he talks about the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and Lois, grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Uh, he says later, Paul says later to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, but this is 3, 14 and 15, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus 
Timothy was raised by a godly grandmother and mother who taught him the scriptures when he was a little boy so that when the day came when he was a young man and the gospel came and the gospel was preached, the truth of Jesus Christ that fulfilled all of that Old Testament scripture, they believed because they were a family that was sincere without hypocrisy. They were genuinely seeking God and truth and they found the ultimate truth in Jesus Christ. You see, the fourth thing that I, I see, and we see it really later in Timothy, but I believe it's contained in his thoughts here in verse 5, is that Timothy, when he looked back on his life, he said, Paul would say, even before you came to faith in Christ, your life was grounded in the Scriptures. And you need to look back with gratitude at all of that. So I believe when when Timothy reads that, he is grateful for Paul's example, for Paul's investment in his life, for his heritage of faith, and being grounded in the scriptures even before they believed in Jesus. Now, I love the way that Paul ends verse 5. When he says, and I am persuaded is in you also. When I just thought about that word, and I thought, what is the impact of that word? When, when, when Timothy reads this, it is like your mentor, mentor in your life saying, I believe in you. Man, you got this. You can do this. Man, I've seen all this in your past. But you see, Paul's about to pivot here in, in, in the next verse, and he's going to begin to talk about the future. He wants him to be grateful for those things that God has done in his past. But there's going to be a pivot, pivot, and he begins to pivot with this word, I am persuaded is in you also. Paul is confident that Timothy is up for the challenge for the future. I love this word persuaded. It's a, it's a word I, I saw in one of my commentaries that, that Paul uses 22 times. But it, it is a word that speaks about strong conviction. Uh, when, when Paul uses this word, it, it, it's, a, it's a strong word. It's, it's that word he uses in Romans 8, 38 when he says, For I am persuaded. I am strong. I have a strong conviction. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. I am persuaded. I have a strong conviction. Timothy, I believe in you. He even uses this later in verse 12 uh, of 2 Timothy 1. And he said, uh, he says, for this reason I awful also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. When Timothy reads that word, son, I'm persuaded that the faith that I've seen in the past is a faith that you're going to live out. There had to be a sense that Timothy said, Paul believes in me. He is persuaded. Um, it is critical 
that we understand that gratitude for the past, this is what we learn. I believe this is what Timothy would have seen in the words of Paul. Gratitude for the past positions us for the future. And here, here's the thing. When I realize those four things that come from verses 3, 4, and 5, they become the very things that Timothy will be challenged to do moving forward. In fact, if you think of those four things, and if you think of, think of them in chronological order in, in Timothy's life, you need to be grateful that you were grounded in the Scripture, that you have a heritage of faith, that Paul invested in you. Paul was an example for you. When Paul writes his final words, in fact, for the next two and a half chapters in 2 Timothy, those four points are the very thing that Timothy will be challenged to do. This is what, he, this is what Paul will say. You need to ground people in the Scripture. You need to proclaim the gospel so that people believe. You need to lead people to faith. You need to invest your life in those who are coming behind you. And you need to be an example to those of what it looks like to live the Christ life. You see, it is gratitude for the past that positions us for the future. I believe it's the same thing in our lives. And as, won't you stand with me this morning? As we, um, as we looked last Sunday about living out of a sense of purpose and calling, I wanted you to spend some time last week thinking about why am I here? What is the purpose of God in my life? It's an essential to what life is all about. Today, today I would say, would you spend some time thinking about what it is that God has brought you through to bring you to this point? And let me submit this to you. Is it possible that the very things that God has brought you through has positioned you for what he has in front of you? I think it was true for Timothy. I have a feeling it's true for many of us too. God didn't do all this in the past. Just to do something in the past. No, he did those things uniquely in your life to prepare you for what he has in front of you. I'm saying to you, you need to stop and you need to pause and you need to look back on that and to be grateful to God to say, no, this is what he's brought me through. And help that position your life for what he has for you moving forward. Amen? Amen. Would you think about it? Hey, this morning I'm going to close in prayer. Um, things we would normally do at the end of the service, we would have an invitation. Uh, I'll be at the front when we dismiss. If you'd like to visit with me, if you need to make a decision for Christ, I'll be here to visit with you. I'll hang around for as long as we need to. 
If you're joining us by the live stream, you can reach out to myself, to Byron, to Cricket. Uh, we've provided you with contact information if you need somebody to pray with you to talk about a decision for Christ. Also, um, if you have offerings, we, we thank you. Can't say enough about your, your faithfulness in the midst of this time in your giving, but the offering boxes are at the back um, and encourage you to continue to be faithful as God moves us forward as a church. Um, I want to pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, today we thank you for um, all that you've done for us to bring us to this point. And Father, we pray that we would uh, genuinely come to the place today to reflect and to thank you for those things. And Father, then I, begin, I pray that you would begin to show us how you want to use those very things Father, to move us forward. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to do a work in our life. Uh, protect us, Father. Lead us, guide us, provide for us. And, Father, I pray that we would love you with our whole hearts and follow you with our whole lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.